it felt special because it was new and exciting and different. And of course, now it's not new and exciting and different. Now there's a whole bunch of people who've been doing it for 20 years. And it's pretty big. And it's a thing that's taught in classrooms. And it's a thing that's studied. And therefore, coming into it will feel different. For me, the important thing is to maintain elements of why we are unique without thinking that we are so different that the bulk of human experience doesn't apply to us. Hi, Louis here. On this episode of Swapping Shoes, I had the pleasure to chat with John Hall, aka Hedge. He's an OG Scottish parkourist who created and still runs the well-established movement school called Access Parkour. He is also the deputy CEO of our global federation, Parkour Earth. We talked about parkour education, parkour Earth's update, and the new support system in which you can directly support Parkour Earth. It's an informative one, and I hope that you enjoy it. The swapping shoes with Hedge. Ah, uh, P.S. Uh, for some reason, my computer was really hot at the moment we were recording it, so you can always almost listen to the stupid noise, and I'm I'm really sorry for that, guys. I will make sure that in the next episodes, this is not going to happen anymore. Thank you for being patient and understanding me. Love you all. Have fun. Hello, Hedge. Hi. Welcome to Swapping Shoes. Thank you. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing good. It's quite early here. Uh, I have uh, been up early. A friend of mine was staying the night last night because uh, the Scottish train networks are completely messed up. They basically don't run and there's no way to get across the uh, country early anymore. <laughs> so he had to come over last night so he could do some work here in Edinburgh. Oh, nice. But you, you live in Edinburgh now? Yeah, I'm in Edinburgh. Nice. It's going to be a little bit difficult for me to understand everything you say then because you have quite a... Um, uh, Sorry, am I strong? Sharp, sharp accent. I can. But I really like it. I think it's one of my favorite uh, English accents, the Scottish accent. So it's not an English accent at all? Um, English language. Ah, okay. <laughs> I think it's um, very nice. Yeah, well, I... I have the ability to tune up and tune down. So I I used to work in an international group studying science. And when I did, I had this very neutral accent that was very easy to understand. And then, of course, if I spend time with Glaswegians or anyone from the West Coast, suddenly it gets a lot stronger and it's very hard to understand. So I need to yeah. remember which one I'm doing at any one point in time. You also need to leave a little bit of sauce. You know, it's your personality. You cannot completely kill it. It has to be a little bit Scottish. A little bit Scottish. Always. Sound more authentic, maybe. Uh-huh, exactly. Um, so, let's let's go. Uh, when did you start doing parkour? When did you get into this world? In 2004, my computing teacher in school put on a video of some people jumping around London. That video was, of course, Jump London. Me and my friends went, whoa, this is awesome. It looks so cool. And my best friend at the time said, we should go and try it. And so we found our way onto the Urban Free Flow forums, found some people in Edinburgh, <laughs> and sort of late 2004, just before the big boom, the big jump Britain boom in 2005, we began training. Oh, nice. But there was the Urban Free Flow forum already before the Jump London. That I didn't know. No, no. So it was... It was 
Urban Free Flow was Perquinant. set up in 2003, I think, mm-hmm. which was when Jump London came out. And then two years later, Jump Britain came out. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And since then, you never stopped training. No. Um, so for the first while, I was, um, I was planning on being a scientist. So I studied chemistry, material science, and um, I wasn't really, I, was, I trained parkour, but I wasn't super heavily involved in the community. I was also quite young. And then I decided, I got into coaching when I was at uh, St. Andrews University. And I um, turned out I was a very passionate teacher, but not a particularly passionate scientist. Mm. <laughs> and eventually I realized that I was just in the wrong industry and decided to try and make a career in parkour. So that was mm. 2014. And you went str- like completely into the coaching side of the parkour industry, parkour world. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, uh, early on I had a little bit of performance work, but it was never really, a, again, never really a strong passion of mine. I like to move. I love moving. I do complicated movements. I was in two big jumps when I was in my 20s. I still quite like a good big jump, but uh, right now I love really complicated movements. And um, that was always a thing I loved and I wanted to share it with people. So my interest was trying to bring parkour to a broader audience. So I was thinking about how to make parkour accessible, how to make parkour inclusive, how to include more people in parkour. So I was really playing with introductory parkour, how to remove the power but still keep the ethos, how to give it to people in a nice way that they could play with and enjoy without going hardcore parkour. <laughs> yes, that's nice. This way you created the Access Parkour. That's when it came out. 2014? Yeah. Or how, how old is the... 14 also. 14. Yeah. So I, was, I started coaching probably close to 2009, 2010. I started taking it seriously while I was at St. Andrews. I was like... Probably I started taking it seriously about 2011, 2012. Um, and then the big jump to full-time was in 2014. Yes, and nowadays still full-time just uh, with Access Parkour, coaching, organizing classes. Uh, well, I don't do that much of that anymore. Uh, Access Parkour is successful. So there are, <laughs> there are 10 employees. There's a general manager. Her name's Nina. She's amazing. And then there's a group of coaches who do most of the coaching work. So, you know, we'll deliver... Uh, 400 hours in a month and of that I, I like if I'd hit 50 like I don't do much of it anymore uh, that's mm. fine by me mostly what I'm working on is new project development work so uh, course development um, bigger problems uh, a lot of Parker Earth work right now because it's ramping up we're trying to make things happen with it and honestly a lot of my time is spent doing um hiring and um, coach development as well which is a huge part of what I'm doing these days and do you miss coaching already not right now because I still do quite a lot of it ah, okay I think I, I do but uh yeah so the this was a busy week um but no I, I still I still teach regularly but I don't do it full full time okay so what is the difference between a parkour teacher or a parkour coach nothing is just the term or do you feel like there's a, a you can call it uh they have different, uh, some sort of tones. Good question. Um, if you look at the, the literature, you'll often see coach described more as someone who is developing an athlete by talking with them, cueing with them, but empowering them to improve. 
whereas a teacher may be described as someone who is imparting knowledge. And that's a very academic distinction. So a teacher is in charge telling you what the answer is, whereas a coach is asking questions and helping you make a journey. Um, within parkour coaching, I think it's a little bit more complicated. I think um, in an ideal world, you need to have both skills. So if someone walks into your class, they don't understand anything about parkour, you probably have an awful lot of answers for them. But once someone's developed quite a lot, once they're on the pathway, you stop telling and start suggesting. And then you move from suggesting to advising and you sort of take um, the sort of the, the aim is for them to become very, very talented athletes and for you to be assisting with their progression. Or sometimes um, maybe you never quite get that far and you actually lead quite a lot of it. It sort of depends on the individual. But yeah, within that, a lot of frameworks would separate it that way. Within parkour, I don't think that distinction works quite so well because you've got this idea of a teacher-led environment and a student-led environment and coaching as it's defined in things like business um, and sports is maybe a little bit different. It all changes a little bit, so it's hard to hit on distinctions that are real. Yeah, it's, it's funny because it seems like I always had the idea that... Uh, the main, like the central part, the central um, gravity, the gravity mass of the parkour economy would be coaching. It just kind of, coaching, I mean education in general, kind of always made sense to me. Mm -hmm. But I also uh, imagine that it would be really hard to make a living only by coaching or, or teaching. Uh, on the other hand, I know that there are a lot of uh, successful cases of it. Yeah. Um, do you think that it's something that we can rely on, that you can somehow um, encourage newcomers, athletes to, guys, look, if you want to do parkour for a living, you can also just kind of try to teach a few times a, a week and that will help you pay the bills and sponsor your own career. Do you feel like this is a sustainable way of... Uh, doing a parkour career? I think the answer is a bit complicated and it's very individually based. Um, parkour coaching can be a sustainable career, but I think one of the things that we often have difficulty with is parkour coaching is not parkour. It's a different set of skills. And specifically, the people that you're going to make the most money off of, the people who are going to become your clients, aren't great movers. They're people who want to have a bit of fun on the weekend, they want to make some friends, they want to become part of a community, they want to try something cool. But um, one of my favorite ways of explaining this is that it is very rare that a Kong vault is taught in an access parkour class because the vast majority of the people that come to our classes can't Kong. And yet, like, the idea of parkour being taught in a way that doesn't involve the Kong, which is one of the most iconic parts of our discipline, like to most athletes, that's like, oh, but of course, the reality is that we're giving people a taste of parkour and an experience which might lead into an interest in parkour. But that's where all the money is way at that beginner end. And I think a lot of athletes will always struggle for very fairly obvious reasons to want to work in that space in that industry. But for those of us who aren't quite as interested in performance, like myself, I kind of, I love the discipline and I love training the discipline, but the uh, you know, absolute performance isn't really something that I'm particularly interested in these days.
it makes a lot more sense for people like me to end up in coaching because the journey is very interesting to me. So yeah, it's like for some athletes who understand and want to do that, yeah, it's a perfectly good way of making some money. I mean, I'm not rich, but I make enough money. Um, but I want there to be more parkour careers and more opportunities out there for people. It's just figuring out how to make that yes. happen. Nice. There's also a large spectrum of coaching, right? Because you have this type of uh, education that you do, th this experience that you can provide to your students. But there's got to be also, and I hope that there will be in a uh, near future, some high-level coaching. You, you already have some athletes that compete in the main competitions, that they have their coaches. But we still don't have the very high-level athletes coaching the new high-level athletes. It's not something out there. Like, Foskey is doing this, I guess. Yeah, um, I guess it's difficult. It's So, again, it comes back to that idea that being good at parkour isn't the same as being able to coach parkour. And so there are some people who will come up, who will become great athletes, who will have a whole lot of experience that they can then go on and that's going to be about mindset and approach to things and being able to tell when someone can do something or can't do something, building trust, all of these ideas that do really come from the classic coaching perspective. So you actually made me think of um, tennis. So, you know, people like Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and Andy Murray, these people have coaches and those coaches are clearly not as good at tennis as these stars, but they still need people to help them, walk them through develop that sort of role can and should develop but i think one of the issues of course is there's not a lot of money in the performative part of parkour yet and as a result you know these high level athletes don't have money to spend on entourages following them around so of course that's going to be one of the issues i think one of the places where that might develop is online coaching i think there's definitely potential for there to be some kind of hybrid coaching where someone who is very experienced, and we're seeing this a little bit in the strength and conditioning aspects. So you can go and you can speak to the parkour strength and conditioning coaches out there who really, really know their stuff. Um, I think Tom Taylor does a little bit of this, doesn't he? He sells programs to parkour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that he has yeah, a and really then, good course. Uh, Joel really like Marks it. and Will... Rizzo, then uh, Rizzo, he, he's teaching people uh, Olympic weightlifting, he's coaching people. Yeah, yeah. So there are people who are beginning to do this. I think that's one of the areas where it will work for actual parkour movements and especially for mindset. I think it's always going to have to be to some level in person. But we'll see how the industry grows and develops. That's very cool. And uh, moving on a little bit on the sub subject, um, you are the CEO deputy. And the deputy CEO, yeah. Deputy CEO of Parkour Earth. And you're the ambassador lead for Parkour Earth. Yes. Um, it's uh, good to have you here so we can kind of let people, uh, like the, the listeners of Swapping Shoes, a little bit of aware on what's going on in Parkour Earth. Because before I even joined, I had mentioned Parkour Earth on Swapping Shoes a few times. Uh, somehow it was my, uh, my hope on like my what I expected to to see in the future of parkour like a nice federation and I had this warm feeling about parkour like my my guts were telling me okay this makes sense and I'm part of it and you are the deputy CEO and 
can you let our listeners know what's going on on parkour at the moment? What are, what is the progress? What is the progress? Um, it's been a very interesting. I've been in post about a year, and it's been a very interesting year. Um, because when I joined Parkour Earth, it was designed such that national governing bodies could join it. And the aim was Parkour Earth would sit as the international governing body and it would only really interact with other national governing bodies. And what it was encouraging everyone to do was to go to their country and form a national governing body. And then once you'd done that, then they would talk to you. But there was growing realization in parkour that that just wasn't going to happen because parkour is a disparate, complicated thing. And so they'd done a little bit of work to develop a product called community membership where big organizations could join. But I think there was still some way to go to understanding how the masses, regular people could engage with parkour Earth in a way that was positive. And I think that mostly speaks to the way parkour people think, which is that we, as a general rule, are very, very practically minded. I think it comes from the sport. We see a challenge, we do a challenge. We look for results. We like The question I keep getting asked is, what is parkour Earth actually doing? And I think that's a really interesting insight into how we think. It's one of the really cool cultural things that seems to always exist in parkour is they're very practical people who want to know what your outcome is. Um, and I like to link it to the sport. What is your jump? What is your move? What is your line, you know? Um, so I've been spending the year developing and understanding what it is that could look like. And so we have this new model, which is called the Supporters Initiative. And the idea is that Parkour Earth is going to try and spend money on parkour people who are trying to make a career in parkour. And the way we're going to fund that is we're going to ask parkour people to give us £1 a month or £3 a month or even £6, £12. Basically, just give us £1 a month, which is about $1.5, about a euro. And we will spend that money on parkour professionals. So what I want people to do is I want them to go onto their phones as they're listening to this right now and go to patreon.com slash parkourearth and I want them to go and sign up and start giving us £1 a month. And what we're going to do with that money is we're going to spend it on photographers, first of all. And then once we have a little bit more money, we're also going to try and commission people to do some work doing some writing for us. We would love to have hosted on Parkour Earth some... Uh, databases so they would be of a list of all of the events that we're aware of all over the world that involve parkour um, I know you're very interested in the competition one another list of parkour competitions all over the world so that people could go to them and be able to find out what's happening in the world of parkour we want to keep it up to date we want to create a map where we can figure out where everyone who is doing parkour is you know where are the gyms make up to date all these great ideas of things across the entire world connecting disparate communities all of these things, unfortunately, are very difficult to do for free, and specifically they're very difficult to maintain for free. But what we do also have is a huge number of people doing parkour. And if all of them gave us a little bit of money, we could do some pretty amazing things. So that's the model we're using. The reason I like this model is that it's very direct. People can go, okay, I give them this money and they spend it on this amount of things. 
And on top of that, it lets us contribute directly to the community. So we're like, we're going to give money to photographers maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't heard of them, but they are parkour people. And I think that makes us different from a lot of the other organisations that have come before us, which has been a mix of some parkour people and some outside experts. Parkour Earth is very much made by the community for the community. It is parkour people trying to create something that looks and feels like parkour. Yes. And before we go into uh, the supports initiative, uh, I want to ask a few questions. Just, for example, a lot of people are, they, they don't know exactly what is the stance of parkour Earth on competitions, for example. Would you be able to tell me a little bit is Parkworth a pro-competition or uh, against competition organization? Do you want Parkour to be on the Olympics or you don't want Parkour to be on the Olympics? Oh, good. Help me through this one, man. This is a hard one. <laughs> um, okay, so the only thing that we can absolutely say for sure is there are lots of people in the world of Parkour that definitely want competition. And there are lots of people in the world of Parkour that definitely don't want competition. What Parkour Earth wants is the people who want parkour competitions to be able to create parkour competitions without anyone getting angry at them and screaming at them online, telling them they're wrong, telling them they're not doing parkour. But equally, what it wants to do is it wants to encourage and welcome people who are against competition and not require them to sign up to or contribute to competitive development of competition. Because quite frankly, both are part of parkour and it would be wrong to get in anyone's way there are real instances and i've experienced this uh, someone who's not interested in parkour competitions to have been subject to some abuse online basically for refusing to throw money at parkour competitions because i don't really want to do them equally i've heard stories of people who are interested in parkour who've had their work sabotaged by people who are against competitions yes. That happened to me. <laughs> it's nuts. Like, I don't want parkour competitions in my gym, so I won't organize yes. them. But that doesn't mean I'm entitled to go and stop someone else's competition. To, to have that sort of ownership of the discipline yeah, is just nuts. Sure. They can coexist. Um, we, can, yeah. we can coexist. I have my reasons. I think uh, anti-competition stance and creating spaces which are free of competition is super important. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop yeah, yeah. someone else. Yeah. yeah, I get it, yeah. So... That's sort of park, park Earth is trying to hold those two things at the same time, where our main thing is we're not going to get in anyone's way. At least that's where we are right now. It's, it, moves a, it moves forward a little bit more in a complicated manner because if you talk to the directors about this, they say what we're doing is we're responding to the feedback we're getting. And the feedback we're getting is mixed right now. But if the parkour community develops a stronger opinion one way or the other we will back that opinion so the directors are like if it becomes clear that a central organization organizing competitions would be something that would really benefit parkour park growth would go down that route if a stance against competition hardens and the discipline splits in some way then park growth would figure out a way forward it wants to be led by what the community is saying to it and as so long as it's being led by what the community is saying to it, it's not going to give an official answer. My opinion, based on the board's opinion, is that they don't imagine Parkour Earth working with the Olympics in the short or medium term, just because they 
mostly have fairly negative views of the Olympics as an organization. It's fairly corrupt. Some of the stories about what happens in behind closed doors are fairly awful. Their sponsors tend to be some really unpleasant companies. Generally, they, there's a lot of reasons to stay away from it. But that is, of course, very distinctly different from... There, I mean, there are other options. There's things like the X Games. There's things like doing it privately, like World Chase Tag and Ninja Warrior have done. There are other options about developing competitive elements of the discipline. Yeah. And it's good to, that it, it can go, coexist completely, both competitive and non-competitive practices of parkour. And there are so many boxes that have to be ticked also in each one's opinions because you can uh, like competitions but not enjoying competing, uh, enjoy watching but not enjoying talking about it, maybe judging, maybe organizing one, but uh, actually never coaching your students to be in a competition and not using this mindset for your company. So it's a, it's a massive spectrum and it's really, I think it's limiting to say I am against competition. All you're doing is you're putting yourself in a box and without trying to uh, learn and move forward. So, yeah. yeah. To provide a, a counter argument, I would say that there are plenty of ways in which you can compete uh, in sport and even in parkour these days. And so trying to like make every space you come across a competitive space is kind of what I object to. So there are many young people who engage with parkour specifically because it's not like other sports. And one of its drivers, one of the things that makes it interesting to them is that it's a non-competitive space. And helping young people understand competition in context and helping them understand everything isn't a competition is a big part of my work. So it's kind of obvious why an organization with that sort of mindset would sort of shy away from competitive elements of, of the discipline. Yeah. Yes, completely. I also have the feeling that back in the days when parkour had the first boom in 2005, there was more of this feeling of tribe and of a sort of sect. Uh, but without being a negative uh, connotation, like we we felt like we had values, and we all belonged to the same uh, group of same community, and part of this was uh, being a non-competitive sport. Part of this was wearing really ugly bag black back black pants <laughs> and sweatbands <laughs> and camel bags. But uh, we all felt like we belonged, and nowadays these um, these types of values they seem to be a little bit dispersed, and it's natural, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But um, I feel like there's less retention in a way, like there's less people interested in joining parkour as a lifestyle and learning about the discipline. And and do you think it's something that we can somehow? Uh, resent <laughs> on because I feel like I have some resentment for this. Like oh, I rem I, f I miss being part of a tribe. <laughs> I think yeah. One of the amazing things about the early days of parkour is that it felt like it was ours in a really really visceral way because it was brand new. The founders weren't really explaining what it was and. The way in which we figured out what it was was basically group arguments online, parkour.net and Urban Free Flow and then uh, YouTube videos shared amongst each other. 
And it felt special because it was new and exciting and different. And of course, now it's not new and exciting and different. Now there's a whole bunch of people who've been doing it for 20 years. Um, and it's pretty big and it's a thing that's taught in classrooms and it's a thing that's studied and therefore coming into it will feel different. For me, the important thing is to maintain something, maintain elements of why we are unique without thinking that we are so different that the bulk of human experience doesn't apply to us. <laughs> nice, very good. Very um, nice, so like, we're people. We're going to fight, we're going to argue, we're going to have differences of opinion, things aren't going to go perfect. Um, but there are elements of parkour that are really interesting. So the way we value things, the way we do stuff, the way we create is interesting. And it's important to me that we maintain a lot of those things. So we kind of, we're looking into unexplored space. I don't know what the future will look like, but it's not going to look like the past that much we know. If someone is interested in any way of uh, joining parkour earth, not being a part of, um, a community or a federation association team and also not owning the support supporters initiative but somehow being um, updated with what's going on with parkour earth and kind of wanting to uh, talk to the the, the parkour earth uh, team um, what can they do how can uh, a normal wall jumper stay in touch and updated with what's going on with the Parkour Federation. Cool. So there's a few options, luckily. Um, we have been working quite hard to become active on all the social media channels. So whereas previously when people contacted us, we didn't have the capacity or the ability to answer, uh, we'll now respond to Facebook and Instagram. Uh, that's my job. Um, we're posting regularly. That's Kel's job. Kel has been wonderful. Uh, but on top of that, we now have this wonderful team of ambassadors, which you're now in charge of, who are people who represent parkour. And we're looking to expand that. We're looking to put uh, parkour with ambassadors all throughout the parkour community. And these are people who should understand what parkour is about, parkour earth's about, and they're going to do two jobs. They're going to communicate what parkour earth is doing to everyone. And they're going to filter what's going on in parkour and feed it back to us. So they have a really important job in helping us understand what parkour is actually looking like on the ground all over the world. But on top of that, we also have the Parkour Earth Discord. So if you go to parkour.earth online, there's a Discord button. You click on it and you can chat away with all of us. There's local area conversations, there's conversations about parkour research and buildings and standards, and there's various different communities. And if you want to create a community, come and talk to us. I do most of the administration on the Discord, so you'll mostly just, if you have a dream and want to change something, you'll find me talking to you. But there's a whole bunch of other people active on it who are chatting away. And that's the easy, low-key way of figuring out day-to-day -day what's going on and what's happening. So if you are someone who's into Discord, that's perfect. If you're more into Instagram and Facebook, just follow us there. Um, but also, obviously, Swapping Shoes is um, now part of Parker Earth, so you could follow this podcast. I've been listening to some of the episodes. They're really good. I really like the conversation you had with Lynn. That was a, a nice little one to hear and see the different viewpoints there. It's nice because it was something that's quite far removed from my own experiences of parkour. So seeing people discuss and talk about it was fascinating. And then um, if you are convinced 
I would like you to go to patreon.com slash parkourearth and give us one pound a month or even if you're feeling wealthy three pound a month sign up to the patron patreon and then you'll get a little bit more communication just about what's going on with the supporters initiative and what where we're spending the money and what it's what is happening with it as well nice yes so there are plenty of ways of joining parkour or being part of it and actually three pounds or five pounds a month it's not a lot um, for some people i understand it can be very hard for a lot of people but it's a uh, it's a money well spent i guess uh, it's not i'm hoping to prove to people that it's money well spent yes so for example uh, you have uh, parkworth has 10 pounds a month by uh, jordan from uh, Liechtenstein. all right jordan from Liechtenstein. <laughs> uh, and he what what is Parker Worth gonna do with this money? He wants to know where, yeah. which photographer is getting the money, and what you're gonna do with this these photos, and how you're gonna convert these photos into um, income again, that sure. will somehow f become a circular economy. How, how is it gonna ha happen? Cool question. I'm into it. So the first thing that happens is. Once we have enough money, we're going to buy a set of photographs from a photographer, and the way it, and we're looking for interesting photographers. So it's going to hopefully be um, a mix of good photographers that we know of, as well as one of the things that we're asking the ambassadors to do right now. We're asking people to do is highlight people who are interesting and good photographers that we want to buy from, because we're looking to get more diverse parkour photography, and. We'll then find people, we'll buy their photographs from them. And what we'll do, that contract will basically say that we and our member organizations can use them in our in our copy and in our websites and whenever we want to put them online. But what we can't do is sell them on. If we want to sell them on or we want to make money off them, we have to go back to the photographer and pay them for commercial rights. So one way in which it'll work is there's just going to be this library of photographs online, which have are very clear about who owns them and what they can be used for and how much it, and who to contact if you want to use them commercially. So for instance, if I am putting a website together for Parkour Earth and I need a photo to go just on a website page, I can go to this library of images and I can find one that fits my needs. I need a smiling child looking up in awe at a parkour practitioner. Great, there's the photo. It's on the website. I know I'm allowed to use it. But equally, if I'm about to sell a book and I want some images, there's this library. I can go there, I can have a conversation with the photographer directly and I can tell them how much money I'm going to pay them for using it in my book that I'm selling. We had a, there was a controversy a while ago where someone sold, someone wrote a parkour book and then asked for photographs to put in the book and didn't want to share any of the proceeds of the book or pay for the photographs. And we were like, no, that's not... No, you need to pay people for their work. That's a really important thing. And then um, once that's up and running and we're paying for those videos and they're available and they can be used, the photographer obviously gets more money, which means they can go and create more photographs and they also get a bigger profile. And also we just create a norm in the industry where you pay people equitably for their work. On top of that, then there's an increase in resources. So member organizations have these resources which are done properly. And then... As the money comes in, he spends more, and week to week we'll do other things. So what we'll do is we'll make this one of the, my big ones. I want the events calendar. The events calendar 
on Parkour Earth, I think is a huge yes. one. I think it needs to be done mm -hmm. this year. I know you've done some work on this already. You've got some spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with competition. Yeah. 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 So we're going to get those events calendars up at some point and we're going to, you know, we're going to invest in that. We're going to spend money to make sure it's maintained. Because one of the most common things that happens in the parkour community is someone has this wonderful idea to create something and they do about three quarters of the work and then it's not maintained. A big difference is Parkour Earth can be the vessel that maintains that thing over the long term because we have that little bit of money to invest. It becomes someone's job to look after that. And th so again, the thing about that isn't so much that it directly benefits the second person. It just becomes a place where events are advertised. People can know about them. People know that they're genuine parkour events. So we spend the money on creating resources that helps create an interconnected parkour community. It helps us know, like, you know, there's a... Um, so there's an event coming up in Finland called Coach Europe. Uh, it's at the end of August. And we'd love to be able to highlight that, advertise it, put it on our website so people know about it. But of course, right now, it's probably not getting anywhere near as much coverage across the community as it might do, just because... The Finnish parkour community are fairly quiet. They don't make too much noise. They're not particularly well-known in some circles, even though it's a huge community. And so by creating this event, hopefully we get more sign-ups for that event because people will know about it and it's more easy to go to things that they know about. We become this central hub where people can more easily interconnect, which helps everyone. People can buy the things they want to buy and money moves around the parkour economy more easily. Nice, great. That sounds good. And it also sounds... It's like interesting and inviting for the member member um, associations and the, the individuals who are part of Parkour Earth to be, be part of it because then you, you have uh, assets inside of the community, inside of the federation. So you know that if, if you're opening a gym and you want the gym to be uh, inside of the local federation and inside of the parkour, the earth parkour global federation you will have things from it like uh, articles photos uh, researches calendar interconnected com uh, uh, community so it seems good it would it, don't you think that we also we miss the forums uh, it, they used to be a like our living room parkour lounge on the 2000s um, and now we, we have one how can we get people to migrate into Discord? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so I think that Discord's great for chatter, um, but also we need to have other long-form places to discuss things. So the articles become a big part of this, and the podcasts are really popular right now. And all of these things feeding together become important because you want to be able to have long-form discussions and you want to build have chatter i think the the discord will grow with time as we do things that make people want to be there and we create these assets they become useful i think at the end of the day for me parkour has to be useful you know um it's and when it is useful when people want to use it then it will become popular then it will become used uh and then we'll help people. Simple as that, really. Yeah, it is. It is simple as that. Yeah, the role of uh, ambassador lead is is very important because 
it will get people to be more connected and participating in in, in the parkour. And the more people we have, the more it will work uh, as the global federation, for sure. This for me is a really important part of it. So I think that people in parkour have a tendency to um, interconnect and build, you call them parasocial relationships. They think about themselves as being connected to athletes they really admire, which often have really strong Instagram pre uh, presences. And people talk to each other. Like even the biggest, most famous athlete is actually quite likely to reply to your message on Insta, um, which is awesome. And if we can bring them with us on this journey to create Parkour Earth, one, that's more authentic because they're a big part of parkour. And two, they will reach out to many, many more people and it will get into the red general discourse. If we start adding at Parkour Earth ambassador to our Instagram profiles and it builds and builds and builds and we bring this community with us, then we will be parkour. That's huge for me. Like I don't want to be playing at being parkour. I actually want to be part of the parkour. I mean, I am part of the parkour community, but I want to actually represent the parkour community and actually represent what the parkour community wants. And to do that, we need these people to come with us and tell us what they want so we can do what they want. And for them to say, well, we are parkour yes. then it works. Sounds perfect. So if you're listening to this and you are interested on being a parkour ambassador, please hit us up. You can send me a straight direct message on, on Instagram and we'll talk about it. Uh, we, we are inviting, right? We want people, we, we, we're not going to be um, too picky. We want you to tell us what you think, what you want, and listen to your needs and have your voice also heard in the community and your needs heard in the community and for everyone. Right? Yeah, so if, you're somewhat, if you feel like you've got quite a large internet presence and you feel like you're representing an area of the world that we haven't really heard from, hit us up. We might be interested in asking you to be an ambassador. If you're interested in doing things, but you don't quite feel you're there yet, come hit us up anyway and come talk to us and ask us what you can do for us and we'll tell you because we need help. Um, and if you just feel like your biggest contribution right now can be throwing us some money, go to patreon.com slash earth and just throw us some cash. <laughs> we'll use it well, we promise. <laughs> wow, such a nice speech, man. Uh, you're a perfect salesman, somehow. <laughs> okay, so let's go for Tic Tac. You ready? Tic Tac. Yep. Okay. So, coffee or tea? Coffee. Sweet or savory? Sweet. Beer or wine? Beer. David Bell or Sebastian Fukan? Seb every time. Yamakazi or B13? <sighs> Yamakazi. Front flips or back flips? Back flips. <laughs> Performing or competing? Neither, but okay, performing. Gymnastics or martial arts? Martial arts background, B. Yelabaka or voice love? Yelabaka. Oh. Woohoo! Thank you very much. That was good, very fast. Probably. Yeah, that was a hard last one. Yeah, I mean, I cannot, I cannot stop asking this one. You know, it's the classic. And I feel like... Uh, if if you if you do parkour since two thousand and nine ten, this this question can touch your heart, your guts a little bit. <laughs> they both have their contribution in their different ways, 
but actually in my opinion they both are maybe the biggest contributors to what parkour is today also I can see that, yeah. They they definitely both defined the style of parkour in a way. And a slightly different style as well. Yeah. Um Danny definitely was the progenitor of a lot of what we see as like the classic the the storer style of parkour that we're often seeing. But Oleg I just I should go watch that video again. <laughs> Out of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they pioneered a lot, like a, Danny, I think he was one of the first ones to really work on like a complex movement mm -hmm. because uh, the French uh, generation, the French wave, they were doing mostly like single movements, so just drops, or mm -hmm. jumps or volts. And then he brought together uh, techniques into complex movement. At least it seemed to me he was the first one to really put out a lot of compris and stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't write Ryan Ford out of that story. Because Danny and Ryan were obviously doing a lot of stuff at the same time. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And other people, of course. Of course. A lot of people. But they were all, all training together. But Phil, uh, Phil Doyle and Taj, uh, uh, Blaine. All but the then, you know, like, equally, if we, we move to, um, you know, out of time, just, it just completely changed how many people, including me, thought about what parkour could be. And there's still stuff in there that blows my mind. And it was what, 09? Uh, yeah, oh nine. I think it's oh nine or two thousand ten, something like this. Yeah. It is, it is, it is. It shaped parkour very, very much. Um, but just just before we finish, usually I w I like swapping shoes to be like forty minutes. You know, this the the commute podcast. Um, okay. We had like a briefly talked about the red word of motion, and it actually happened last week. Uh, it did. What What did you think of it? So I didn't watch it. I don't really pay much attention to that world. However, I got a little bit of insight because you were chatting about it. Um, and some of the stuff I saw was really cool. I think you were talking about the fact that there was... We had a, an interesting little chat about this, which I think we can bring up now because that's all I can really talk about with regards to mm -hmm. Red Bull. Because the movement style, there's obviously a couple of different movement styles and one of them is a very tricking-based style that's really popular right now because it's this style comp. And I think that's a natural development. I think one of the good things about Red Bull Art of Motion, from my perspective, is that it doesn't entirely market itself as a parkour event. It's a motion event. And so other disciplines can come in and they can, if they can follow the rules and the judging criteria, they can do really well. And so seeing tricking really push its way into art of motion and really become a big part of how people are moving is sort of fascinating to me. Um, I worry a little bit about it because obviously a lot of those rotational moves on the concrete aren't great for the body. Um, but, you know, that's a thing. But on the other hand, it's beautiful. And when combined with parkour, it can create something really crazy. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. You you actually you 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 brought this idea into my mind, into lighting my head, that there is space for tricking and there should be space for tricking and other sorts of movements like yeah. uh, Pasha winning the first red board of Motion Santorini while doing a head spin mid run, <laughs> and that was eleven years ago. Um, yeah, break dancing is another one that has every potential to break into. Yeah. Motion. But here's one thing that I'm a little bit scared of is that um, 
it it goes so wide and so broad that it stops having the 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 parkour characteristic characteristics at all and that people who actually practice parkour on the street who want to be part of art of motion they will not have a chance because they are not as good in tricking but they can do great uh, roof gaps and um, other parkour bangers uh, I mean I remain less worried about that but I can see why that might worry you yeah like because for example I'm very happy that Verki was the winner this mm. year because he did so such a beautiful mover Yes, yes, and he's been training hard all year long. He's been going to all the events, and he he's going to spots like every day and posting crazy stuff that he's doing and doing vlogs. He's a young athlete, very serious, taking it seriously, working hard. It's it's really cool for me to see that, and he's not completely focused on art of motion, uh, competing and becoming really really good at uh, at art of motioning because I feel like this is this is also happens there's a lot of athletes that come in with the idea that they have to become the perfect athletes for art of motion and then um, they kind of lose the parkour essence of uh, exploring the spots and challenging themselves to finding lines outside on real environments you know are you so you're talking about the idea of like going to spot and exploring and seeing what's possible? So do so do you find uh, in America the main styles right now are skill comps, which is can you do a thing, and speed comps, which is how fast can you do a thing? Um, are you less interested in that because it's not really got that exploration element to no, it? I like that. I like it very much. I think skill is my favorite okay. uh, competition format. I feel like it's the most uh, authentic to the sport. Except from maybe uh, video competitions or something like this, because it's pretty much someone finds a challenge and says, "Look, look, uh, here's a challenge. Uh, try it," <laughs> and it's just a challenge. That's <laughs> very parkour. Um, yeah. But the other point that we were talking about is the difference between Red Bull and Fig, for example. We briefly talked about it because a lot of people they say, "Oh, Fig is not that bad. Come on, they just organize an event. It's just gonna be. Uh, it, it's not gonna stop." parkour people from training outside and you don't have to go for it and it's nicer that we are part of it yeah. so they don't organize this themselves we are also organizing as the parkour people and red bull is also doing parkour competition what is the difference so what yeah. do you think is the difference between red bull and fig so i i'm gonna need your help here because i th there are some things i think are true which i'm sure you'll be able to tell me which is um to my knowledge, the way it works is Red Bull wants their logo on it, but at the end of the day, they're not putting too much pressure on how it actually happens. There is a group of people who are doing that for them. Red Bull just wants their logo everywhere, um, which is good in that they're not trying to tell us what the sport looks like. And specifically, they're not trying to control parkour at all. We just had a conversation about it's the art of motion. They don't mind trickers and breakdancers or whatever being involved. Parkour people are just the sort of people they've settled on. That's good because they're not trying to control this entire discipline and define what the discipline is. Fig's on another level. If Fig gets their way, our parkour will cease to exist and it will be replaced by their parkour. And the way that they will try and do that is they will create parkour classes in all of their gymnastics gyms. They will then 
move in and say, you can only teach parkour if you use our way of teaching parkour. So they'll control the insurance industry and the qualification industry. At which point in time, things like gyms will get shut down and the kids who are being raised into parkour will go to parkour classes. Will be, they'll be taught the fig way of doing things. And it won't really look like what we do. Uh, it will involve a lot more scoring, a lot more control, and we'll be told how it works and it will fit within a model which, quite frankly, is corrupt as hell. Figures, like when you, so let's put this in perspective, right? This is amazing. There's this uh, governance toolkit where you analyze how open and fair and proper your organization is. Fig is a multi-million uh, pound organization which has uh, hundreds of members' organizations. Parker Earth is tiny. We're nearly hitting the governance numbers of FIG already, and we can probably become better governed than them already because they're just, they're just, they just do what they like and they don't care what we say. They're going to be awful for the sport. And even if they do vaguely right in the short term bias, they're only doing that so that they can use us as they wish in the long run. And all you have to do is look at the experience of other disciplines that have been absorbed by FIG. Just go and look at some of the um, the acrobatic stuff and all of the other sports that have been absorbed by FIG and who've then just been left to rot once they're no use to them anymore. Um, it's a fairly awful organization that has done some fairly awful things. Uh, and while I also don't like Red Bull, <laughs> it's not even on the same level. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Red Bull is... There's a few things that I... I uh, respect Red Bull and I actually am some some type of like thankful in a way. First of all, it's the longest run parkour uh, competition. So the first one was in 2007 or maybe 2006 they had a trial event in Vienna, I'm not sure. But 2007 the first one that Ryan Doyle won and it's still happening, it's 15 years later. So it's a very, very um, traditional event for the parkour community and since then they did not try to interfere uh, to intervene in anything related to the the community yeah. they are not telling gyms how to train their kids they're not saying what is uh, right or wrong or that they are actually the the official world competition they are just doing an event they are selling cans yeah. and they're still successful with it it's 15 years later they're doing it, the whole parkour uh, community, or most part of it, who is interested in community in any way, is watching it. They know it's happening, they know where it's happening. And it's also putting the name of parkour out there for the masses. So it was yeah. on CNN um, mm -hmm. this week, uh, a piece cool, like. about parkour uh, competitions without being fig, which is brilliant, it's beautiful. So. Big thank you to all the Red Bull team, if anyone's listening. <laughs> and, and also, the other thing that I like about Red Bull is because it is actually just parkour people organizing it. <laughs> it's, yeah. They have a, the, the, like the producers, the fundings, the fund, funders, they just give the money so they can organize the thing. But who is organizing it from the beginning to the end is just parkour people. <laughs> they choose the rules. They yeah. they ask a parkour guy to be a, the, the head judge. Um, they have parkour people choosing what is the course. There's no interference of anything else uh, except from parkour people. So I respect that too. 
Yeah, and it's um, it's also I think very clear. Like they're trying to sell cans. That's their aim, and so they put in a competition. Like it's that's quite nice in some ways because the deal is very clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just want to sell cans. It's very different to uh, trying to have a, a sport being part of their federation of sports. You know, they don't want the uh, parkour to become Red Bull. They and gymnastics, on the other hand, uh, in Portugal, for example, where I'm from, uh, you already have. It's been happening quite often that the gymnastics federation, the Portuguese one, is contacting the parkour organization clubs and classes to absorb them. Yeah, it's happening, and it's not the first time that I heard it happening uh, in the first country. I think the same thing happened in Germany already, in Spain. And it's and in Brazil. I ah, know the Brazilian one doesn't want the Brazilian uh, gymnastics federation does does not want to absorb parkour, which is really nice. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so the, you don't even have uh, Brazilian parkour athletes on feet competitions. Nice, go Brazil. <laughs> yeah, uh, but another thing, um, just briefly, uh, another thing that I was thinking is. Um, the parkour goal is not only to fight fig, right? Yeah. This this is not is not only to have parkour in the Olympics or. It, it's it's a long term, um, plan goal, right? If you talk to Damien about this, he has some really interesting thoughts. So Damien Puddle is the CEO. He's the the boss man. And. The way he sa says it is, I don't kind of. We don't know what Parkour Earth is going to be other than we want it to be a home for parkour. And when you're building your home, uh, you don't, you maybe sort of keep changing exactly what it's, exactly what it's going to be to try and fit what you need. So we don't know exactly how Parkour Earth is going to shape, shake out. All I'm doing is figuring out where the problems lie and trying to solve them. And hopefully Parkour Earth will stick around. It'll become something that grows slowly and sustainably through parkour people putting in the effort and therefore it will be ours instead of being something imposed upon us by others. And that's going to take time. It's going to be slow. But if you support us, on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash earth and giving us one pound a month. Mm. We're more likely to do it with just that little bit faster. <laughs> yes, or just joining us. Let us know what you think. Um, thank you very much, Hedge. What are you going to do? You're going to train today? You have a busy schedule? I'm teaching all day. Uh, I've mm. got uh, an 11 o'clock, which is in an hour, and then I've got a few birthday parties. Nice. All right. Nice. So thank you very much for joining. It was thank a pleasure. You. I'm going to leave your, your socials in the description and uh, see yeah. you soon. See you around. Hopefully. Yeah, let's talk again soon. Yes, sounds good. Thank you very much. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. You can find the links to Hedge's... Uh, socials and parkour support system as well as its website on the description and i will see you soon have a good week of training <laughs>